it's taken me a long time. I mean, I'm, you know, 46 years old and finally understanding that, that there's a long game for everything, right? Nothing happens short in, in a short period of time. I, I always, you know, point out the, the idea of the overnight success, right? That's, that's such a cliche that the overnight success really took 20 years to make. Um, every single thing that is done quickly to me is typically done wrong. Welcome to the Sustain Podcast, where we discuss all things that exist at the intersection of design and sustainability. Are you intimidated by the zero and zero waste, but you want to live more sustainably? Are you inspired by elevated, timeless design? Do you prioritize progress over perfection? Then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jacqueline Tracy, the founder of Sustain, a home-focused, sustainable marketplace on a mission to build a more circular future, imperfectly, but collectively. Kate Bailey. She is the founder and CEO of Tara, a co-working company elevating women in business. Uh, Kate is such an inspiration to me, truly, in every single way. Uh, She is just such a light, and her energy is just completely contagious. And I honestly (laughs) left this podcast being like, yeah, we need to change the world, but we also need to do it sustainably. (laughs) Like That was my takeaway, was I am both inspired to to go out there and make change and also uh, realize that this is a long game, you know, and it is all all about progress over perfection. So I'm I'm so excited for you to hear Kate's story today. She actually tells us a story that she's never shared on a podcast before about, um, you know, a brain disease that she was diagnosed with at the age of 23. And going from that to you know, getting her first editor-in-chief job at a lifestyle magazine to, you know, being the CEO and, and founder of, of Tara today. Uh, so it's fascinating. We talk a lot about design. Uh, she has a expertise in interior design and um, is truly like my greatest fashion icon, especially in this Denver area. Uh, I absolutely adore her style, and um, and so I'm really excited for you guys to listen to it because uh, we touch on everything from vintage to you know how how important it is to take the climate crisis serious and start making making changes today. So enjoy this episode, and thanks for tuning in. Okay, so I'm welcoming Kate Bailey, who is the founder and CEO of Tara, a co-working company elevating women in business. And she is also a dear friend of mine and just somebody that I truly look up to in in the space of business and community building. <laughs> and you're, you're my fashion icon and <laughs> so many things. So thank you so much for being here today, Kate. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I love talking about sustainability and fashion and style and vintage and all those things. So it's going to be a good conversation. Yeah. So, okay. So why don't you tell us just a little bit about like founding Tara, how, how you came up with the idea of this concept, what it is, explain a little bit more about what it is, because it's just like, I mean, when I think about Tara, I just think community, I think, like-minded women, ambitious women, supporting each other, and then even the design of the space is just like, it's, I mean, it's like walking into a magazine, it's so beautiful, (laughs) and like warm and welcoming, and so, so yeah, so let's give people a little bit of context of like what you've built here. Absolutely, it's uh, it's a very long story, so I'll try to nutshell it as much as I can. Um, it does kind of go all the way back to I grew up in a very small town in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, and I was surrounded by an amazing community. I was really lucky. I think as a little girl, um, I was kind of a weird kid, very creative, um, and and definitely was one of those like one of these does not look like the other type of kids in in the middle of. Um, 
of, of Wyoming. And so I, I had this incredible community though, of very strong women that I grew up with my mom, my aunt, my sister. Um, and when I, uh, you know, graduated from college, I had this big ambition to be a magazine editor in New York city. And my first job out of college was, um, as a executive assistant to a magazine editor in Denver. And I thought I was on my way. I was so excited. And I had this amazing group of, um, it was all women at the magazine in, in leadership, which was really cool. So our publisher, editor, all the ad salespeople. So my very first job was even sort of surrounded by these really powerful women. And then when I was 23, I got diagnosed with something called pseudotumor cerebri, which is swelling of the brain. The best way I can describe it, it's like having a traumatic brain injury from within. Um, and it was just from adverse reaction to a medication that I was taking, a pretty benign medication, um, very rare. And, you know, I remember going to the doctor and it took him about three or four months to diagnose it. And I was, I was really quite ill, um, lots of vertigo and migraine headaches and then sort of all these other symptoms that, that came from that. And I wasn't able to work. I wasn't able to do anything but sort of sit on the couch and knit. I, I could knit, which was, you know, kind of just using my hands. How, um, how old were you? How old were you then? 20, 23. Okay. It's 23. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I effectively had to go on disability. Um, they didn't know how long it was going to take to recover. And lo and behold, it took about 13 years to recover. So crazy. Um, and in the meantime, you know, I kind of, the way I coped with it is that I just dove into work. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to live my dream and move to New York City because I was just having all these really challenging symptoms. But I was able to at least keep doing my magazine career in Denver, Colorado. And I ended up um, making it all, all the way to editor-in-chief when I was 26 years old. I don't know what they were thinking, giving me the helm of a magazine when I was 26 years old. <laughs> but it was an interior design and architecture publication called Colorado Homes and Lifestyles. Um, and at the time, it was a pretty, it was kind of an older ladies magazine, you know, the ladies that lunch in Cherry Creek, etc. But what I really did is I came in with this vision to modernize it, um, you know, this 26 year old kid. But I which I really like at to- which at the time, this is like, you're still having these horrible migraines like symptoms pain. and migraines and panic attacks and all of the above oh my that gosh. was caused by this uh brain disease effectively that i had and but again like it was just this idea of like i just poured myself into my work because that was the only thing that kept sustaining me and i was able to channel all of that sort of pain into um you know 50 60 hour work weeks just because i would just exhaust myself by the end of the weekend i would sleep all weekend um but what i envisioned even there was this idea of bringing the magazine to life in community and so that was probably my first foray really into understanding the power of of spaces, of digital spaces, of physical spaces, and media spaces, to be able to bring people together. So fast forward, um, became managing editor at Aspen Magazine and then got laid off in the recession. And some of my symptoms had started to subside at this point, but you know, I was definitely suffering from this idea of, like I never really felt like I was hitting my full potential because I was held back by this this crazy brain disease thing that I had. And um, it was a really big driving force for me to just keep pushing and keep going because I knew that you know, I kept dreaming that like someday it was going to be over and I would wake up and I would be quote normal again. And I would be able to just, um, you know, kind of fire that into the next chapter of my life. Which is, which is like, just, just to pause you for a second, the, I think that's so beautiful because I think that a lot of people who go through things like this, like these chronic, you know, illnesses and disease, it's, it's hard to actually keep dreaming, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's like a lot of people lose hope and you really kept dreaming. Like that's real. That's a really beautiful thing. I love that so much. You know, I, I, I appreciate that. And I think that kind of in hindsight, I didn't, I didn't really know anything different. And I am a very optimistic person by nature. Mm-hmm. And I just always wanted to believe, I mean, there were a lot of dark times, like, don't get me wrong. Um, there were a lot of times that I just couldn't, I, I couldn't believe that it 
that it, it just wouldn't go away, right? Like you just wanted to wake up and, and have it have it be gone. But there was something in me truly, and I look back on that now that just kept, like it was a voice inside that was like, just keep going, someday you're gonna wake up and you're gonna feel okay. Mm. And so um, when I got laid off in the recession in 2008, I started just freelance public relations. I was like, well, you know, the magazine industry is not going to be the same. All of my friends had gotten laid off of their jobs in New York. And I was like, well, I, you know, I got to figure out something where I can still do my storytelling and, and kind of maintain the media side. And so I wrote freelance and then I started doing PR and that kind of shifted me at one point into um, the advertising industry because at that point, you know, social media marketing was sort of this new thing. And I remember one of the, one of the agencies that I worked for was like, Hey, can you go figure out this Facebook thing? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure. It's sort of like, a, you know, it's writing, it's like writing captions in magazines. I can do that. I can do that all day long. So over about, um, I guess it was 2008. So in 2013, I decided to finally go out on my own, um, because I, literally woke up one day and I felt better in 2013 and it was yes in 2013 so oh spring gosh. of 2013 it was um April of 2013 and I woke up and I was like it was just it was this like pause right because and before you were before you were having like migraines you always were just in pain like in physical it felt like I was, I had a scrambled brain. It's the mm. only way that I can describe it. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't see straight half the time. I couldn't go into a grocery stores without having a panic attack because my brain couldn't process lots of information. Mm-hmm. So I used to be able to work for about 30 minutes at a time, 30 minutes on, 15 minutes off, 30 minutes on, 15 minutes off. I would take like two hour naps in the middle of the day because I would get so exhausted. Um, and then, yeah, periodically these crushing migraines, vertigo, panic attacks. I mean, just it, 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 the only way to describe it is that my brain literally, it felt like it swelled up and then it got put back together the wrong way mm. when the swelling went down and then it had to like find its path back to normal. <laughs> um, that is a very unscientific explanation of it. But I literally woke up one day, Jacqueline, and I was like, I feel normal. And I kept feeling normal. And, you know, I called my mom. I'm like, mom, I feel normal. She goes, well, that's good. Let's see what happens tomorrow. And the doctors had never told you, like the doctors had never said like, oh, this will like, this will end at some point. They had no idea. Right. They they said it, it it would eventually, they just didn't know how long. And Mm -hmm. I think that that was one of the reasons I was able to keep going Mm -hmm. was just believe it for some people. It never, it never goes back to normal. Mm. Um, but I just kept believing that I would, you know? And I, I, so I, I literally, after about six months of finally quote feeling normal, I was like, what do I want to do? Oh my gosh, like this is, I have a new lease on life. It was like being Rip Van Winkle. And I literally, I just sat and I wrote for like three weeks in December of 2013 of what I wanted my life to look like. I was like, okay. I get to press the restart button effectively. Nobody ever gets to do this in life. And I decided I wanted to open my own agency. I wanted to move back to Denver. I'd been living in Aspen and then in Wyoming. Um, And I was like, I'm gonna go just live this life to the fullest I can. And I'm I'm, I'm gonna go be the person that I always knew that I could be. So it was kind of this idea of like, I'm gonna go fulfill that potential that I knew that I had. I'm going to give it everything I've got. And so since 2014, it's just been like a sprint to catch up, you know, 13 years of, um, of life that I didn't live. I mean, I, you know, I, I spent 13 years, like most people's normal twenties and thirties, they get married, they have kids, they, you know, get the promotion and the job and the raise and all of those things. And I got a little bit of that, but it certainly wasn't the life that I thought that I was going to have. And so, you know, translating that into kind of where I am today with Tara, it's um, this space and this community is really, it's like, 
all of the containers of my life put together in one space. So I was able to use my background in interior design and architecture and and really the business of beauty, right? Lifestyle beauty to, to create these spaces that I, I wanted to be in, that I believe that all women should be able to, um, you know, life is hard enough as is. So let's, let's be in really beautiful spaces and spaces that are comfortable and inspiring to be able to do the hard work. Um, bringing these communities of entrepreneurs and leaders and executives and, you know, even just girls coming out of college and, and people that are, that are having those dreams, the same kind of dreams that I had when I was 23 years old, um, giving them a space to fulfill that and, and giving them the tools and this, the resources, um, the community and the network to be able to get through some of these really hard times and to grow and to, to believe that you can, I think that that's really what the Tara community ultimately is. That's so beautiful. <laughs> I love that so much. And it really is. I mean, if you walk into the space, it, like one, I, you just can feel the energy. Like it, I, I know that it is truly inspiring, like people to live their full potential because like I've, I've experienced it, I've seen it. And, and it's, it's really, it really is beautiful, a beautiful gift to Denver. As, as a city. Um, We're hoping to, to bring the gift nationally someday soon. So yeah. stay tuned for that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and so, okay, so when, when did you, just staying on, the, on Tara, when did you uh, open up Tara? Because you started working on it like seven years ago. Was it, was it kind of seven yeah, years in the making? Yep, I came back in 2014 to Denver, and then by 2015, I had all of these amazing women in my life that were starting companies or had owned businesses for a couple of years. We were all having the same challenges of like, how do I run my human resources? How I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to, you know, legal or finance or, um, you know, marketing and sales and business development. And there were all of these crazy questions. Funding a business as well was such a big conversation. And I kept looking for answers and I kept looking for resources and communities where I could actually access this information. And of course, today, there's a lot more of that. There's a lot more of that. And it's amazing to see But back in 2014, there was nothing. And so, you know, I, I started, it started with a dinner party, a group of girlfriends around my table. And I said, you know, what do you guys need? How can, how can we together, how can we kind of uh, aggregate our resources and our tools and our network and really start to help each other. And so from there, it just grew into, um, we ran, you know, several events every single year, workshops, programs, networking events, all kinds of fun things. And then I met my investor and he invested in 2019. Uh, we had everything planned out. We were ready to push the go button in 2020, April of 2020 of all months, oh and then gosh. push the pause button instead of the go button, um, went back to the drawing board, and then we opened um, almost exactly a year ago in September of 2022. Wow. That's, that is, I, I actually didn't realize that, I didn't realize that part about 2020, that it would, that makes, that makes, that makes sense. I mean, of course it's a, yeah. it's really a community and co-working really space. Lucky. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That we weren't further along. We just yeah. had drawings and plans. we hadn't signed our leases yet. And so that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a blessing. Um, and, and so, so what is your. So currently you have all this programming community and then what, it, what is the, the greater, the greater vision for, for Tara? I feel like you've already touched on it quite a bit, but just. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, the goal is to have a national community. I don't want it to be huge. I think that when we're really talking about what our value is, is the one-to-one -one relationships and the connections. Um, I have always believed in the power of the human connection and, and, and in-person um, spaces. I, I think the virtual space is amazing. I love virtual communities, but there is something about local connections and people coming together in community that is so unbelievably valuable to the human experience. 
Um, the way that Tara plans to grow is maybe four or five of these as sort of our anchor points. And then we want to have a really meaningful way to grow these networks of, um, I, you know, it's not even entrepreneurs at this point. Like we have the people in Tara are people that want to make an impact. They're change makers, they're innovators, and they're innovating in their companies with their own companies. They may be professionals, they may be executives, they may be retired. But everybody's goal that we can find so far, people that walk through our doors are really people that want to have impact. And so um, however we can help them have that ripple effect, that's what we want to do. And so through these containers, which are these co-working spaces, we obviously have that opportunity to bring people together in community. But the greater vision is certainly conferences, um, a media platform. I will I will always come back to the thing that I love the most, which is media and storytelling. And then, um, you know, finding ways to, to get more money in the hands of women and businesses is another really big passion of mine. I think that it's a big topic these days and I'm excited to finally see it come to the forefront. And so, you know, we plan to be one of the catalysts behind um, getting funding for women-owned companies because I think the more money we get in the hands of women, the more women they hire, the more women in leadership, the more money they have, the more power we have, and then we can reinvest back into our communities and the flywheel starts to turn. Yeah. Yeah. And can we talk about for a minute the the research project that I'm a part of? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Jacqueline is um, part of this amazing research project we just kicked off at the University of Denver, Daniels College of Business, um, Social Venture Partners, and Denver Economic Development and Opportunity Office. And our goal is really to find the systemic gaps of why women and BIPOC founders are not getting the kind of funding that is available. Uh, there's plenty of money. Uh, there's there's plenty of money floating around the system, and it's not just unconscious bias in the system that is preventing that funding from getting into their hands. There are a lot of other systemic gaps that need to be researched, and interestingly enough, there's not a lot of research around it. So we you know we know that visibility and data visibility is the thing that can affect change. So our goal with this two-year project is to uncover where are those gaps, so we can present that information to these ecosystems systems, these funding ecosystems in different cities around the United States and say, here's the gaps, find programs, workshops, um, tools, resources that can help these founders fill those gaps, whether it's innovation in the funding system, you know, you look at like things like crowdfunding, angel funding, there's a ton of innovation that can happen there. Uh, we also see that there's a lot of innovation happening in the social impact investment space, the micro lending space. Um, it's not just venture capital that is needed. It's actually all of the other types of capital that are so critical to uh really bolstering the infrastructure under women and BIPOC founders. So we need the data to start and then we can figure out what the solutions are. Yeah, I think it's it's such an incredible research project that I'm like amazed by because it is just being an entrepreneur. It is such a puzzle. It is such a puzzle <laughs> to piece it up, like to be like, where should I get funding so that I can scale this business and how do I get it? And, you know, it's it it. And it, it is easier for white males. Like, it, it just it just is. Um, and so I think it's just really, I'm, like, very honored to be a part of, of, of the project. And I've already learned so much from it. So I can't wait to see the, the research results. You know, I think that it is so much easier for the white, white male privileged class. Like, you have to kind of put it in a bucket, uh, Catherine Finney in her book, Build the Damn Thing, she calls them the entitleds. And not to bash white men who have privilege at all. There's a lot of great ones out there. There's there's a ton of great work that they're doing. Um, but there is a network that has been set up literally over the last hundreds of thousands of years. This is not just in the last decade that they built these networks. This has been built over the entire course of human history. And there are social norms and there are, um, there's, there's, you know, there's wealth already built there that can be invested. If you look at, I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but effectively a, a black woman has 17% of the total capital that an average middle-class white male has. Mm -hmm. So if you take that gap of 83% more wealth, 
mm-hmm. that already sets them up to be able to have the wealth to then either invest in themselves through self-funding, bootstrapping their own company, or to invest in somebody else's company. Mm-hmm. So already from the get-go, you've got a massive gap, right? So how do we fill that gap through skills, through tools, through networks, through resources, through um, grant making and and putting more dollars towards women and BIPOC owned founders so that we can start to close those gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not had the privilege of thousands of years of history of wealth building. We've really only been able, and women have only been able to have a credit card or a home in their name since the 1970s. Of course, we haven't wow. been able to build wealth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you look at it just from that statistical standpoint, um, that's the piece that we really got to start to understand. Sustain is raising a community investment round and you're invited to participate. If you love Sustain, believe in our mission, and want to become a co-owner of our rapidly growing company, visit wefunder.com slash sustain. Investments start at just $100. Okay, so you have been on quite the journey in life. And, and so, I mean, even with your with the brain disease like that that is something that I would consider like that's like a major setback in life and and you talked a little bit about like you know having belief and overcoming it but were there any other are there any other tips that you would have for for listeners around like overcoming failure overcoming self-doubt like cultivate cultivating that self-belief and I think you and I, I mean, you and I, I feel like connected a lot because we're, we both are optimistic <laughs> and like people that, that will just, you know, take the leap. Like we, the courage is there, you know, it's like if something needs yeah, to be done we're going to jump. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about like any tips or tools that, that you'd recommend there. It's a great question. And, and part of it, um, I think the grit that I was given as a kid by my parents definitely helped. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were not helicopter parents, even remotely. You know, they let us fall a lot and try a lot. And there was sort of this, like, could always do better, could always do better. And I think that that translated both good and bad for me. I mean, I, I definitely, it, it showed up as perfectionism, mm-hmm. but it also showed up as this like, get up and keep trying, get up and keep trying, right? And I think that when, for me, when I was in the hardest space, um, I, was a, I was a marathon runner and a distance runner. And I kept, it was like every single day, if I could do three things, I know I knew that I would be okay, right? And those three things were go on a five mile run, um, take a two hour nap if I needed it, or a twenty minute nap if I needed it. The napping was actually the most important thing because it allowed my body to recharge. And I think that that rest for when you're going through really hard things is one of the most underestimated mm-hmm. tools cope you have to be very disciplined about it which I was I would sort of gauge like do I need 20 minutes do I need an hour do I need two hours depending on how well I had slept but that was the other that was the second thing that I knew that I would be okay I could get through the day if I took a nap Mm -hmm. and the other third thing was I was just a voraciously healthy eater and I I I was I was so determined to kind of fine-tune how I was feeling through what I was consuming. And that really led me down a path, I think, of between the workouts and the napping and the healthy eating. As a 46-year-old woman, I feel 30 because I've been able to, I mean, it was sort of survival, right? But it has turned into really amazing lifelong habits that have fueled me to be able to have the kind of energy that I have. And I'm convinced that those three things have also contributed to my ability to um, have the kind of, you know, 
like caretaking techniques to get me through entrepreneurship as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think there's the, the real lesson there is this idea of routine. And when you're, when your mind is spinning, when you're in a health crisis, when you're in an anxiety crisis, when you're having, you know, any of those really challenging time periods that we go through, it's sort of this idea of like, just do three things every single day that are good for you and that feed your soul. And also know that it's just a season. You know, my season for that lasted 13 years, but some seasons last two weeks, sometimes it lasts two months. There's still times that I I call it my brain scramble that I'll come home and I'll just feel like somebody took my head and shook it and put it in a blender. And I know what I need to do to be able to get out of that because I was able to for day in, day out for 13 years, like that was my routine was run five miles, nap for 20, 20 minutes to two hours and um, just make sure that what I'm feeling my body with is what my body needs. Mm-hmm. I love that. I agree too. I think that sleeping is so, I mean, I honestly probably don't get enough sleep, but I do. If I, if I feel like my body needs a nap, now I do nap. And that wasn't always the case that happened. That's like in the last couple of years, I've been like, if you're, t- if you're tired, you need to sleep to be productive. Like there's no, there's no, you know, resisting that. They say that sleep, napping 20 minutes a day can add seven years to your life. And I will I believe totally it. Believe that. Yeah, me too. Um, I can now like no joke, pull over to the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> put my, put my, my car seat down and not for 10 I, minutes. I do the same day. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. People are like, how do you do that? I can nap on command. Yeah. And so it, it's just like, feel it coming and I'm like, all right, I'm out. And uh, we've napped in some very strange places, I will admit. I've you know, napped at the, on the soap foot Tara before. I've napped in my car on the side of the highway. Like, mm-hmm. I got no shame in my napping. Yeah, so good. There's a whole, there's this book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Essentialism. It's like one of my favorite, yeah. I'd say it's like my top five like recommendations for books for entrepreneurs to read. And there's like, there's a whole chapter on sleeping. And that was honestly, when I read that book, it like, ch- it changed. Cause I feel like with sleeping, sometimes it's almost like in our society, it feels almost like there's like some guilt around it. It's like, we should just be like hustling and working hard all the time. And and I think I had felt that before I would just like fight through na- naps. And then I read that chapter on sleeping and how valuable it is to your productivity. And I immediately, while I was reading the chapter, fell asleep for like an hour. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're napping now. We're in our, this is our napping era. <laughs> permission i'm telling you i'm gonna add seven years to my life happily and i've actually gotten my partner to start napping he never napped a day in his life he's a ceo high power doesn't sleep five hours a night and now <laughs> on saturdays he's like is it nap time yet i'm like oh yeah <laughs> you hooked it is it's a game changer and i can go i can run a 14 hour day no problem for a 20 minute nap at 2 30 mm-hmm. speaking of what yeah, <laughs> speaking of what, uh, it's nap time. <laughs> um, okay, that's so beautiful. I love that. That's like, those are really good tips. I, that's like, I love that it's like three things, like just three things that just ground you and, and help you move forward in, even in the hard times. Um, yeah. Okay, and so. Getting, and, you know, if you need to take a bath, like that's a great thing. I mean, everybody has their, a different thing, but I, I do think that movement healthy food and some kind of way of like grounding meditating you know Mm -hmm. bath whatever it is like those are the three things those Mm -hmm. are the ingredients yeah and so from a because we do at sustain talk a lot about like the intersection of sustainability and design and you and i have talked quite a bit about that because i i do I admire your style so much. I when I when you first told me you were from Wyoming, I was so surprised. I was like, I thought you grew up like in Brooklyn of like in New York because the way you dress and like the presentation of the Tara's face, everything. I was just like, this this woman has some serious design game. Um, and so so tell me about like who were who inspires you in in the really just any kind of design space like it doesn't have to just be like home interior like who who really inspires your like publications or anything that kind of help with the creative you know process there um 
my mother was the instigator for all of it. She is, she came from a very poor family in Dallas, Texas, and she was, she just has an eye. She's an artist. Um, and she started making her own clothes when she was like 13 years old and made her own prom dresses and made, I mean, she just decided like, I'm just going to be fashionable even if we can't afford it. So as a kid growing up in Wyoming, she actually taught me how to make my own clothes, but even more so she would take us to, so for like prom or for nice, you know, occasions, she bought us Vogue magazines and she said, you know, pick out your favorites and we'll go find a pattern and we'll make it right. And so that was where it all started. Um, and she also loved to collect antiques. And so I just attribute all of my love of vintage and of style to my mom from, from day one. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it translated for me in, in the magazine industry. I mean, I had this wonderful editor, Irene Rawlings. Um, she was such an amazing mentor. And she really taught me, you know, interior design. She taught me all the language and the vocabulary and gave me all the books to read. And you really do learn just by listening and, and watching and writing about these beautiful houses. And so um, that was kind of where it all started. I always had a bit of a quirky sense of style. I, you know, shaved my head when I was 14 and thought I was like a goth princess, <laughs> um, which was horrible. And uh, my very first style icon, I would say, is definitely Sinead O'Connor. Um, I had the combat boots and the white dress and the shaved head. I thought it was so cool. But uh, I, uh, you know, I think that from a from a style standpoint, um, she's she's very popular these days. But Jenna Lyons was such an icon to me when she was back uh, at J. Crew and creative director J. Crew. I just loved the way that she had that very quirky sense of style and color and pattern and 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 the mixture of metallics and you know rhinestones and all the fun uh that she had there so i really do i love i love when people are really playful um but i also you know have such a, a love of very kind of clean mid-century modern style was always my favorite mm-hmm. um and became a collector of mid-century modern back in the you know, late nineties, early aughts, when it was becoming a very big collector's item. And I would go to estate sales, with my sister and find these just incredible, uh, you know, MCM pieces, especially in the middle of Wyoming, nobody knew what they had. They didn't know the value of it. So we would go and pick up these incredible lamps and, you know, sideboards and buffets for pennies on the dollar of what they were, you know, Hayward Wakefield and chairs and um i furnished my whole first house with all of this wonderful vintage mcm so um i think i'm trying to think of other just like names of course everything's escaping me at this point um but there's uh god what's her name alexa um alexa hampton was one of my favorite interior designers very classic east coast style but kind of a modernized version of it and, you know, you look at my style, it's sort of this blend of, you know, modern, a little bit punk rock. Like, there's always a little bit of a rock and roll to it, right? But mm-hmm. I definitely love the modern, clean lines. But I've really, as I've gotten older, um, added a bit of a classical twist to it. Because I just think that that's what's speaking to me as a 46-year-old woman is something a little more classic, a little more traditional, a little more kind of timeless. And, you know, even more of that... Um, the timeless aspect has really started to hit home from a sustainability standpoint. You know, I mean, I was like everybody in my twenties and thirties, you know, ran through, I think we had top shop back in those days mm-hmm. and didn't exist until a little later in that time frame. but um, certainly bought quite a bit of, of fast fashion. And as I've gotten older, I, I truly do look for timeless pieces. I think that, you know, they're, high quality designer stuff is worth it if you keep it for you know a decade um so trying to kind of find that balance between my love of you know things that are a little bit more trendy with things that that really have some staying power and you can mix and match in different Mm -hmm. ways yeah yeah it's such a like you have this really beautiful creative balance and it is your own unique style but of of this mix of like the vintage and, and modern, like it's new and old. It's like this, I just love that balance. I think it's, 
I think it's so cool when you see it come to life and especially in a unique way. Um, and yeah, so that's, uh, yeah, design is, I mean, I know you and I like bonded over vintage right away. So, and you also do like sustainability wise, you s- sell clothes on Poshmark. Is it Poshmark or Depop? The real, real. Yeah. And then um, a local in Denver called Common Threads, which is dynamite. And I really have gotten into this point where I effectively buy on, I, I buy all nice designer stuff on consignment and then I sell it back and buy more. Mm-hmm. And what I've discovered is that like the price, you know, the cost per use on, um, like I got this great Joetta Ortiz dress for I think 300 bucks for mm-hmm. the Tara opening. And I've worn it four times. And then I can turn around and I can sell it for like $200, maybe make 75 to 100 on it. So my cost for that actual piece was 125 bucks, right? If I'm doing mm-hmm. math right. And then, and that's so much less expensive than buying even something like from Zara that I throw away, mm-hmm. right? So you're not recouping all of your costs, but if you start to look at the financials behind it, if you're buying nice things and you're, you know, keeping them up and then selling them, you actually end up in this kind of cycle where you're spending less money than you would if you were buying just crap and throwing it away or sending it to Salvation Army to get thrown away. Um, And when I started to do that math, that was the thing that was actually really powerful. I was like, so I have this great pair of Chanel heels that I bought that I can't wear anymore. They're way too high, but I can turn around and actually sell them today for more than I bought them for. So it's almost neutralized out because I was able to, you know, take care of them and Chanel because it's, you know, coveted vintage. It actually, it's like a Porsche. It actually increases in value mm-hmm. over time at, as a, as a piece, which is crazy. Yeah. So if you, you know, really start to do the math on it, it seems like it's expensive. Sometimes if you're buying, you know, the designer stuff on a place like the real, real, but the fact that you can turn around and sell it again is the reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's honestly, that's my favorite way to shop. And that I was, I worked at a designer resale store all through college. So, and I was like pricing things and I was still getting like 50% off. So it was like, I had all these like great designer pieces that, yeah. And that's still my, that still is honestly my favorite way to, to shop vintage because it is like, I mean, the pieces that I have in my closet that I love the most have been in from, I mean, usually I'll go in store to a place like common threads. And then, and then in that case, if you're selling there, it's just like, I, I don't even, that's to me, it's like monopoly money, you know, like I'm like, okay, I brought you these clothes. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I brought you these clothes. I made this much money. Okay. Now I'm going to spend it on more clothes <laughs> from this exact spot. So question, um, what are your top three, like over the, over the, over the years that you've been doing it, what are your top three pieces, like your favorites? Ooh, that's a good question. I I have a couple jackets that are Vince that I just really I really do love. I think Vince is a really timeless style and design. Um, I do have I know you've seen this, but I have that this like coach briefcase that I really love. That's like super old. I mean, I don't even know how old it is. It's like at least over a decade. Yeah, twenty de- twenty years, thirty years. Um, those two come to mind right away. But yeah, mostly, I mean, I am like such a sucker for jackets. So the other, the other one yeah. would be, a, I, I don't, I can't think of like the designer name, but like it would be another jacket of mine. Cause I just like love, I love, I fall is my favorite season. Like jacket game is like my absolute favorite. Same, same. Yeah. So fun. I got, I found this in, I mean, I, I'm so mad that I, I got rid of it. Like I'm so mad that I got rid of it cause I didn't know what I had a Thierry Mugler like black mini dress that had a whole sheer top to it that mm. today because of the Kardashians I could have turned around and sold for an unbelievable amount of money but I was like I'm never gonna wear that again so I sent that off to the consignment shop about a decade ago so mad <laughs> um I a pair of Alexander McQueen platforms that are like to die for with these velvet ties that I found in Aspen. Oh my gosh. Uh, Most comfortable shoes. And they're like four inches tall. They're phenomenal. Uh, And Um, you still have those. 
Yep, still yeah. have those. Oh. Wear them a lot. They're so beautiful, like laser cut leather. Mm-hmm. And then um, I found a Chanel cashmere duster. Like, I don't think that people knew what this thing was for like 300 bucks. And I priced it out online and I think it was 7000 Wow. <laughs> it's from their like high end Chanel cashmere line and it's a black cashmere duster like super simple with a double c on it and it is like my favorite favorite piece hasn't has not had a single pill on it oh my gosh Uh. and i just remember pulling out and being like this is only 300 bucks (laughs) you're like are you sure (laughs) take this i think and yeah, I priced it out online and I was like, holy bananas, this thing is like seven grand. That is, I think that, I lo- actually love that we're talking about it in this way because I I think it's really important for people who, who haven't gotten into like, uh, especially like designer resale, but that is the fun of it. Like like finding something that you're like, okay, this $300 thing is worth $7,000. Like that, I mean, that is the fun in it. <laughs> yeah. And it really, there's a rush to it. There is no doubt. I feel like, you know, I feel like the the really bougie version of the, um, like the treasure hunter antique people that go, you know, dumpster diving. I'm like, I'm not dumpster diving, but I will definitely consign her. A a thousand percent. It's it's so fun. It's so fun. Um, Okay. So I have, I think just one more question. Uh, So... This is our, this is the question that I ask everybody. So it's like, we always talk about at Sustain how, you know, our whole philosophy is progress over perfection because, you know, the, the zero waste, just how we talk about things. I mean, you being uh, in media and PR and writing and all those things and storytelling, it's like the way we talk about things is so important. And when the zero waste movement began, I just remember thinking, that's insane. Why would we ever call it zero? You know, that's, I mean, it's an all or, it's like all or nothing and it's so intimidating. And, um, and so, so yeah, so our, I preach about this all the time because I really want to reach people who are intimidated like me of zero waste uh, in this larger segment so we can make this huge collective impact sustainability wise. And so, so in what ways have you kind of incorporated that philosophy of progress over perfection in, in the context of business or personal growth, uh, because I know, I know you even mentioned earlier, like, I think you and I are probably both like recovering perfectionists. Uh, and so, so yeah, just any, any kind of story or, or thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think that it actually goes back to the idea of the three things, right? Like three things that I can do today to advance something forward. Um, and it's taken me a long time. I mean, I'm, you know, 46 years old and finally understanding that, that there's a long game for everything, right? Nothing happens short in, in a short period of time. I, I always, you know, point out the, the idea of the overnight success, right? That's, that's such a cliche that the overnight success really took 20 years to make. Um, every single thing that is done quickly to me is typically done wrong. Like Mm -hmm. I I cannot pinpoint something that has been like a a quick decision or something that has, has been kind of a quick fix. I mean, you think about um, companies like Uber or Lyft or all of these different like disruptive unicorns. Well, yeah, they, they upturned and overturned an industry, but then they kind of left this path of destruction in its wake. Mm-hmm. And if, if we could, if we could, as a society, really understand the idea of small action creates ripple effect, creates big action, that, and, and live by that philosophy, then I think that it makes the, everything feel a lot more feasible, a lot more doable. Um, I wasn't always this way. I mean, I, you know, because of my illness, I really had this sense of urgency of everything, mm. especially when I started better. I mean, I, everything was fast. Everything was fast. Move, move more and more, break it, don't care, keep moving um, in everything from business to relationships to uh, decisions that I was making. I mean, I was just like, let's do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
the more that I, the further I've gotten away from the illness and the more that I'm like, okay, I have time. Yeah, I, I could get hit by a car tomorrow. Hopefully I don't, but I have time. I'm not going to die tomorrow. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and feel ill again. So I, I didn't have to keep rushing forward. And, and if I go back to the idea of like, it just, the, the things that you do every single day, just making those conscious decisions, being intentional about it, whether it's an intentional business decision that you really plan out, that you do the market research for, you say, hey, I've got this idea for this product. Okay, why? Does it come back to my values? Does it come back to our mission? Does it come back to our vision? Um, what will this move forward? What is this taking me away from? What's the trade-off? And so always looking at life from that trade-off perspective of if I'm going to spend time over here, I can't over here. If I'm going to buy this thing, you know, that's a, a sustainable product versus one that's not, what's the long-term consequence of that? Like, is that, you know, spending a little bit of extra money on this, this cardigan going to mean that I don't have to buy three of them? you know, in the next two years because they fall apart and get holes in them and pill and that I'm putting crap into the, into the um, landfill. And so it's really looking at it from that long-term perspective that I think that we as humanity, American humanity, I think the Europeans kind of have this a little more right than we do, but we, we've got to get out of that, like that mentality of more and more now, now, everything mm-hmm. fast, everything more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that really is the fire that's fueling disposable culture when it comes down to it, you know? And yeah, so I would love to pull us out of that cycle as fast as we can. I mean, as progressive and <laughs> slow as we need to, but... <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and that was, I think that that's the paradigm shift that we, and, and sort of the, the challenge that we have is living in this in this kind of both hand space of it needs to happen tomorrow and it's also going to take time and you know there's no better time than right now when the world is on fire i mean there there are places of the middle east that are uninhabitable because they're so hot now Mm -hmm. and like like that is the urgency that we as a society need to understand is like and I think that I remember somebody saying this during the pandemic, if humanity could shift, it's um, the same kind of effort that we channeled into combating COVID, maybe not quite the level of masking, but, um, but the same amount of channeling that we put into COVID as we do into climate change, we could shift things really fast. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if, if we were all collectively aligned the same way that we were during the pandemic, that there is some major shifts that we could make mm-hmm. very quickly. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I totally agree. That's fascinating. Right. And so like, how can companies like yours, like sustain or Tara, I mean, we're, we're in the, sh- in the space to shift, perspectives as well around women and entrepreneurship and and yes some of those shifts have been made but it's still not big enough it's still not we're still not on the other side of it Mm -hmm. and the same thing with you know the sustainable economy is just trying to to understand the economic and social and environmental and human impact um and how capable we are of making those shifts Mm -hmm. and you for being part of that voice. I mean, that's, these are the voices that we need. And, and, you know, there's people that roll their eyes at me. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, women's lib, like we've been there. We've done that. Aren't you guys, aren't you done with that yet? Right. Same thing with sustainability. It's like, no, I'm sorry, but Greece is on fire right now. Yeah. 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 Canada's on fire right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, this work is not, hasn't even really started yet because it still hasn't hit the the mainstream. It really hasn't. yeah, you have to have the renegades and you have to have the rebels until until it does hit mainstream. And that mm-hmm. could be, it could be too late it for could climate be. change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was, I, I a friend sent me the quote from former Barack Obama the other day that it was all about, you know, that we're, we're the first generations to really experience climate change and we're also the last generation to be able to do something about it. And I was just like... Yep. Well, I mean, it's just like such a powerful call to action uh, in the space because. And also terrifying. 
Yeah. Right? Because it's like, you don't know what we're doing. Why are you pointing at us? Mm-hmm. I, another thing that is a first is that my generation of women, the Gen X women, and, and I put us down to only like white privileged American Gen X women, a very small sector of society, we're the first generation in the history of humanity to not be defined by husbands and kids. Mm-hmm. I yeah. have to have babies and get married to That's mind get a blowing. Card. That's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. That is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So you couple the 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 challenge there that we're the first there, and you also add to it that we are the first generation and the last generation to deal with climate change. Mm-hmm. No wonder we need naps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no wonder that we need, you need your nap. You need your nap, Jacqueline. I need my nap. Oh, because my gosh. I'm tired. I'm real tired. <laughs> no, and, and I think that, like, the thing is that we can't get overwhelmed. We've got to break it down three things a day like what are we doing every single day to move the needle forward it cannot like these big huge challenges can only be moved if everybody's doing a little something every day Mm -hmm. right just a little just a little shift a little uh, you know different mindset um buy something from a woman-owned company hire a woman-owned company um you know back a woman-owned company invest in it you know donate to a crowdfunding campaign, show up for an event, show up for a pop-up shop, those little tiny, tiny little actions that take no more time than scrolling on an Instagram, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or your account. Those tiny little things, not buying plastic wrap, buying wax paper or wax, you know, covers instead, like all of these little shifts, if we all just committed to three a day, like, that to me is where we start to make some shifts, but we all have to do it. We mm-hmm. can't sit back and yeah, pretend that I totally agree. And I think the beautiful thing just that I, I think about all the time is, is that, you know, women already have 70 to 80% of the buying power. And, and so we do, I mean, they're like, that's why to me it's wild that it's like, you know, female founded companies are not as invested in as, white male company there's all these things all these stats that just don't make any sense in my brain (laughs) because I'm like wait but we're running the economy (laughs) like we're literally keeping the economy afloat and so I just I always remind people that there's so much power in that you know there's so much power in consumer choices there's so much power in choosing you know what brands to support and um and I just I I'm I'm excited and hopeful because of you know especially female leaders like you um, to that, you know, just to see what happens in the next decade uh, in the U S and in the world. I am too. too, And I think that our BIPOC communities are doing such incredible work. There's so much lived experience that is being driven into creating tech driven solutions, service driven solutions, things that, you know, as a, as a, as a white woman, I would never understand, but I, I can see the social and like massive amount of impact that that is having. And so, you know, we, we just have to persist. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's always been what we've done best. Right. And yeah, we're a little tired and we need to take a nap every once in a while, <laughs> but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I, I do see the shifts happening and we may not be alive when all of that is realized, but at least we were the ones that were the catalyst and used the fire from our grandmothers before us, right? Mm-hmm. To, and, and their grandmothers before them to be able to, to move this forward. And my, my message to people is just don't give up. Do your three things every day. Get your friends to do three things every day. Um, take your naps, eat good food, got some exercise, got some rest because we got a lot of work to do. And if there's anybody that can do it, we can. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I love that so much. Well, thank yeah. you so much for joining us today. Uh, do can you tell people where they can where they can find you? What's your your Absolutely. website and? We are um, at Tara T A R R A dot C O. And then Instagram underscore T-A-R-R-A-C-O, Tarco. Um, lots of fun stuff on Instagrams. We send really fun newsletters with lots of nice things and have great events and programs. So many and events. Hopefully we'll- 
So City many events. U. There was, I mean, the one that I heard about at Tara that I met you at was the International Women's Day, which was so, <laughs> like, some, a friend just invited me. that She was like, hey, there's this community event. I was like, I didn't even know about Tara. And so there are tons of really cool community events that even if you're not a member yet, you can, you know, you can attend some of them and get introduced to Tara. So, um, yeah. awesome. Well, thank you, Kate, so much. You are such an inspiration to me. And I'm so excited for people to hear, hear this podcast because I think it'll, it's just what you're doing and, and some of the things you said are, are just motivating. I'm like ready to go change the world. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sustain Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any suggestions for future topics, please reach out to us through our website or Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review if you enjoyed what you heard. Your support means the world. Thanks again for tuning in. We look forward to creating a more circular future together, imperfectly, but collectively.